This week's episode of Millions of Screens is brought to you by HBO's I Know This Much Is True. I Know This Much Is True follows Dominic Birdsey as he struggles to care for his twin brother Thomas while discovering the truth about his own family history. Based on the best-selling novel by Wally Lamb, the limited series is written and directed by Derek C. in France and stars Mark Ruffalo. The Hollywood Reporter hails the series Tremendous Performances. And it's fitting! Two weeks in a row, guys! HBO knows what we're talking about. We're talking limited series and TV movie today. So I Know This Much Is True is in the discussion. Whoa. Yes. How do you think they know what we're talking about? Do you think I don't that know. this is part of like the AT&T like data mining enterprise? Or do you think this is more just like, you know, they can guess? As far as I know, Zoom is Fuck. not part of a uh, Zoom is not part of the Warner Media conglomerate. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we will be talking about Libby and Ben's predictions for best limited series, best TV movie, and maybe discussing some potential nominations in the directing and writing categories. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Ben, I know you were excited when these numbers came in. Monday? Was it Monday when they came in? Perry Mason, Perry Mason's debut, earned more viewers than any show on HBO the past two years? Any debut past two years. 1.7 million viewers. Uh, Watchmen drew 1.5 million. And The Outsider drew 1.2. Ben, you gave Perry Mason a B plus. What can you tell us about people going crazy for Matthew Reese as a Listen, detective or a lawyer? You tell me. I can't. That would enter <laughs> spoiler territory, which uh, per embargoes were agreed. I've agreed not to discuss. Uh, but what I can tell you is uh, as soon as this n- news broke, uh, our news editor, Zach Scharf, immediately asked me to explain how is this possible? How did a show that is set in the 1930s with a star who was on a, who is coming off of a series that was probably most well known for being the show that you bugged people to watch, aka not enough people were watching it while it was on TV. So I, I don't really know why this is such a success. I will say that it's catering to an HBO demographic, like an older HBO demographic that's always been around that craves these kind of shows that would remember Perry Mason and want to dig back into those stories, even if it's a wholly kind of different iteration uh, this time around. Um, But I would also say that, you know, this is a big prestige HBO drama and You know, the last one of those we had was Westworld. People already know what that is. People are already kind of, you know, in or out on that show. So uh, I think the pump was kind of primed for subscribers, especially with all of the buzz surrounding HBO and HBO Max, whether good or bad. People are still clinging on to those old subscriptions. And this was part of the tie-in throughout that whole thing. Like Perry Mason was the show that they were pushing more than anything else. So yeah, I, I just, I think they were eager to see what it looked like and honestly i'll be very curious what episode two's ratings are episode one is brutal there is at least one image that has turned select viewers um my sister off from the show completely uh and i could see that happening to a lot of people as it continues um but on the other hand i liked it so i hope they stay by it uh, Libby, you wrote about uh, specific rules changes that the Emmys made l- last week. The the big one being something that confused me when we were talking about the Emmys last year, which was the 2% rule. 
because there was some categories that had seven uh, seven right. nominees, and I was like, why seven? And right, as you were saying, it kind of, that used to be like their margin of error <laughs> contingency plan. A little bit. That's probably not what they would prefer it to be <laughs> known as, but uh, that's the way it's easier for me to keep in my head. But uh, let me let me back up a little bit. The TV Academy uh, last week announced that it was expanding the number of Emmy comedy and drama series nominations to eight, which is a lot of nominees. And part of the reason they cited this was because uh, submissions for this year's for the 2020 Emmys have increased 15% over last year. Last year, if you remember, they were complaining, uh, uh, Emmy members were complaining about how overwhelming and long the ballot is. So now imagine that. Anyway, so the solution is apparently to expand the nominations to eight. And that somehow will make the nominees more diverse and like more roundly accept, more roundly include, uh, uh, <laughs> more roundly capture the diverse television experience happening right now in streaming and on uh, traditional cable and broadcast and, and all of that. Uh, an exact quote is, increasing the inclusiveness in the recognition of excellence. Those are all words that make sense together. But this expansion means that the Academy is getting rid of their 2% rule. Now the 2% rule, the margin of error rule, is that if a sixth vote, a sixth place vote getting series is within 2% of the fifth place vote getting series, it would be included in the nominees. It's very <laughs> stupid and it's probably good that they're getting rid of it, but I don't know that the answer to it was to expand the categories. They also chose to change and this is what i think is interesting the academy has now switched to the number of nominations for a specific category will be registered on a sliding scale based on how many submissions they get so if they only if they get between 1 to 19 submissions in animated short uh there's going to be between 0 to 4 nominations uh Go 20 to 80 is five nominations, 81 to 160 is six nominations, 161 to 240 is seven nominations, and over 240 submissions, you're going to get eight nominees. Which says to me that in the next couple of years, every category will have eight nominees because we're only going to get more television. More people are going to be getting in the game. Like Peacock is coming next month. Like there's, there's no end site for peak tv so if you thought the emmys were long before um you're boned in one way i hope that it's an indication that they're taking this unprecedented time to reevaluate their system trying to find a, a something that works better something that's more malleable moving forward uh knowing that things are not going to suddenly shrink again unless you know Hollywood never recovers from this economic turmoil. Um, but they have the sliding scale in case of that. 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. And it, it was surprising. And, and, and because I am an agent of chaos, I love it. Ben, did you love the 2% rule? You love the 2% rule. I didn't love the 2% <laughs> rule, but I'm, I'm generally not in favor of expansion when it comes to award shows. I feel like it, uh, it's, it's the common complaint. I feel like it, it diminishes the value of the awards themselves. Um, and I, I don't mean that literally. I think that everybody who gets nominated is deserving of getting that nomination. But I do feel like ever since that the, the film Academy went to their, you know, fluctuating five to 10 best picture nominees, it's harder and harder to remember who those nominees are. And it's, it's less meaningful to be nominated. Then it, it starts to be a race of who gets into the best director category, because that's really telling as to which are the top five movies as opposed to you know these other five that are just kind of floating there um and i i don't really want to see that same thing happen to the emmys i feel like seven was a pretty solid number when it came to drama and comedy series right now i think if it inflated to 10 um you know we're just going to start seeing so many shows get included that aren't necessarily equivalent to the best shows on tv like it's it's going to be one of those things where as we saw last year popularity reigns supreme it still comes down to who has time to watch what shows and you know uh, <laughs> who's going to vote for stuff that they haven't seen so that's that's the biggest worry for me when it comes to voting for the emmys is that it's either based on what they've heard or only what they've seen and we're never going to be able to see it all because you know the people who are voting for these have jobs that aren't watching TV all day. So it, it's just it's just a, an insane idea to me. As I mentioned up top, today we're talking about the actual uh, categories for best limited series and TV movie. Last week we talked about all the acting categories. I don't know. How do you guys want to get started on this? Obviously, you guys have your predictions up on Gold Derby. They're pretty similar um, to one another, at least in terms of best... You only have one pick that's different amongst all your picks. What is it, Leo? Spoil it. You want me to spoil it? Yeah. Well, Ben has normal people, and Libby has defending Jacob. <laughs> well, we might both be wrong. That's exciting. <laughs> oh, we're absolutely both wrong. But I, I, as I established last week, I like throwing that bottom spot to something weird. So, Ben, as you have it on our predictions page for Best Limited Series... Right now you have Watchmen, Mrs. America, Unbelievable, Little Fires Everywhere, and as I just mentioned, uh, you have Normal People, Libby as Defending Jacob. Uh, your spoilers also include a bunch of shows that could potentially get nominated. Um, and in your perfect world, obviously, Mrs. Fletcher to take that fifth spot, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd want it to take the second spot, maybe the third third spot at worst uh but yes no mrs fletcher like there sometimes when i do the in a perfect world you know there's a lot of extra candidates who aren't necessarily you know strong competitors that you want to you know give give voice to and you know we do have a lot of uh, high quality limited series competing this year but uh i purposefully spotlighted just one important show for people to remember which is mrs fletcher so uh, so, Ben, as you wrote, uh, of the last eight years, either an HBO or an FX show has won this category. Last year was Chernobyl. Right right now, you both have Watchmen in the top spot, which would be in line with that. But maybe each of you can talk about one of the shows sort of on the bubble that you want to see pop into the nominations. It, to me, is very clear that Normal People is the bubble show that I really want 
to get in. I feel like at this point, if I was betting money on this race, which obviously I am not, just sandwiches with Libby, I would be betting on Unorthodox to get that fifth spot because it feels like um, momentum is kind of held, as we talked about last week with that show, whether it's uh, looking specifically at the performances, at the viewership, at the reviews, like it's got all the factors and people are still talking about it. Um, it's it's really hard for shows, especially ones that aired a while ago, to kind of start moving up in the rankings for for the Emmys. Like when you're, when you're just doing predictions and it's this early on and there's not, you know, it's not the Oscars. There's not a lot of precursor awards where, you know, you start changing things. Um, and yet unorthodox is something that we, I do just keep hearing people talk about. So I, I think that that would probably be my fifth spot, but I would definitely love to see normal people get in. I think that it's something we can talk about a little later on, especially in terms of writing. Um, I think it's directed beautifully too by Lenny Abramson, but the decision to make that, to make it 30 minutes, 30 minute episodes, 12, 30 minute episodes instead of six hour long episodes was critical to kind of absorbing that story. And, um, the way that they were able to identify that so early on and execute it so well for a book that is not an easy adaptation. I just, I love that story. So I would, I would like to see it get in, but Hulu's track record with limited series is a little little tough. No, but I think that's really interesting as far as like bubble shows. That's really hard for me to talk about because I am, I am only convinced that two shows that two limited series are locked in this category Watchmen, it's Mrs. America, and I think everything else is that, like, I want to say that Unbelievable is locked, but I don't know. There's so much competition out there, and there's really no way to judge at this juncture what people are excited about. I think, uh, I, I think, I, I'm 85% confident Unbelievable is getting in. Like, 80% common, uh, uh, 80% confident that Little Fires gets in. Um, I think that five spot goes to, I know this much is true, probably. Um, that would be, that's, if I had money, um, that's, that's what I would, (laughs) that's what I would, that would be my lineup. That would be my bet, despite my defending, trying to bang the drum a little bit for defending Jacob, um, just to see what happens. Uh, but (laughs) I don't know, like, I, I don't. I wasn't so in love with many, I I wasn't really in love with any of those outside limited series. Um, Devs didn't really crack for me. And um, I didn't think, uh, I I didn't think Terror Infamy was um, as good as the first season, which was woefully underseen and woefully under-recognized awards-wise. Um, I don't think AMC is suddenly going to be able to start pulling cred for it now. So I don't know. I think it's a huge bubble that encompasses more shows than you would think. And I wouldn't be surprised to be surprised by how this category shakes out on nomination morning. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it's exactly what I suspect it's going to be. Um, It's just that kind of category. I think it's worth talking about at least one show that kind of refuses to go away, even though I don't think either of us would be campaigning for it. And that's the loudest voice. That's something where I didn't really expect it to do that well with the guilds. I didn't expect it. I kind of thought it would do okay with the globes and it did, 
But the fact that it was able to to snag, I think, what was it WGA nod at the guilds? I have I am haunted by 2018's limited series list to this day, <laughs> where all of a sudden the alienist and genius Picasso came out of nowhere to like fight their way into the race. So then every year when I'm looking at what's laid out in front of me, it's like okay, these seem like the easy picks. These seem like the obvious choices, and I agree. Like I feel like four of the five. Those two, Watchmen and Mrs. America, are locks. The next two are pretty strong contenders. The fifth slot is a little up for grabs, and yet, eventually, I have to shake my mind out of that. And just be like, well, what could, what else could happen? And if it had, to, if I had to pick, kind of the the weird outlier that I don't necessarily want to see, I'd much rather see devs get in. Um, I I think Hollywood could still muster the power of Ryan Murphy and right. and fight its way in as well. But I might go with the loudest voice just because it's it's won't go away. I think it's worth talking about, but also something to keep in mind. And, and the reason that the Emmys don't have any precursors um, or, or any valuable and reliable precursors is the fact that, you know, the Globes, the WGA, the DGA happened at the end of 2019 when so when the loudest voice would have been the most recent one of the most recent things they had just seen um, that aired June that that premiered June 30th, which uh, we're now 51 weeks from. And I, I don't know how top of mind it's going to be because number one, they haven't been able, I don't believe they've been able to push FYC very much because for partially partial reasons, its star is, you know, almost certainly back in Australia Um where if you <laughs> it's easy to forget the entire country was uh, continent was like embroiled in wildfires earlier this year before everything else fell apart um so i don't know what kind of what kind of awards push they're going to be able to do on it and uh that is why i'm i'm leaving myself room to under to discount it i guess which will be my error, and I apologize in advance. Well, and with with mine to defending Jacob, I think it's just the Apple TV of it all. Like the idea of what are they going to be able to do in this first go round at the Emmys? Like how much damage are they going to be able to to inflict upon the nomination count? And you know, we still just don't really know. Like a lot of the conversations that I have are based on you know, the long history that certain networks have with TV Academy and their success or failure at getting viewers, like getting voters to look at their shows and to admire their shows and reward those shows. And with somebody new like Apple TV Plus, it's very hard to tell, um, you know, how successful they're going to be. But, you know, they want us to believe that Defending Jacob is a big hit. They want us to believe that the morning show was well watched and it, again, performed well with those, you know, precursors of sorts last year um so we'll see we'll find out but it's it's i still do i will live in fear until the nomination morning of the wild card limited series slots where uh certain things you think are set in stone just get thrown out the window let's talk about bestie movie is this el camino's to lose or can bad education maybe steal the spotlight i guess that's the same that's the same sentence (laughs) if it is it's to lose then it would lose it to something else. It has to lose it. El Camino would have to lose it. That's how that statement yes. works. Let's just keep going because I wanted to keep that in. Guys? Yeah. Guys? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. 
We're using that take. Ben, right now in predicted nominees, you have, yes, smithereens. But on Gold Derby... Uh, you guys are. You guys have identical gold derby picks. Uh, El Camino, Bad Education, Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, American Son, and Togo. The only difference being that you have Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt, and American Son reversed on your ballots. I do like your In a Perfect World, Ben. What is it? I don't you don't remember? I don't uh, know. Deadwood's given another year of eligibility. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I actually think that would be to make one up of for the, uh, the most fitting things. The Black Mirror. Yeah. I mean, they, they really, they ignored a, uh, an instant classic last year, which is a crime that should be punished Deadwood style. But no, I don't, I don't, I think that the TV movie race is, is pretty weird again. I, oh, so fucking weird. I just, it's hard to even look at, you know, a, another interactive special in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for which one was part of a series that was losing steam at the Emmys every year that progressed so that by its final season it was I think it was down to like two nominations and to bet on that as like not even the last pick but the third or the fourth pick for TV movie this year kind of speaks to the state of the race where I do think that El Camino and Bad Education are pretty solid at the top I don't know the order exactly but it's hard for me to bet against Netflix at this point um, let alone bet against something that comes from the Breaking Bad family, which is just beloved by all TV Academy voters. Um, but yeah, like the bottom of the list, I would have never, ever in my life picked Togo to end up as one of the final five. And yet, as Libby pointed out, it got a Guild nomination. Like it, it's already been positioned as an awards player even though when you look at a poster of willem dafoe standing over a dog like it's willem dafoe's head and then it's a dog underneath him and like willem's wearing the the like fuzzy parka thing so it's i it's almost impossible to take that thing seriously um but that's where i'm at and i mean yes patsy and loretta could make its way in troop zero has viola davis and allison janney and it's backed by amazon um dolly parton is well liked so heartstrings could make a run but like i i don't know this is where i'm at like even american son with carrie washington it got terrible reviews but i i can't bet against it it's a netflix original film with a background of a play and a a very well liked actor who's expected to do well for another show so they have really broken this category and they're trying to fix it by adding all of these restrictions to it. That's the black mirrors in, black mirrors out, black mirrors in. And um, and I don't know. I think the thing, the one thing that saves this is eventually when the streaming players like Disney uh, start entering their movies into TV movie, then the other uh, then the other outlets will take it seriously. Um, it is interesting to me how Disney Plus is going to play into the Netflix mind games with the Film Academy, but I guess that is a question for a post-COVID world when <laughs> theaters exist and can show new releases. But yeah, I, I, I think this category is just inherently broken until they start getting different submissions. Like it's just, a, it's, this is a, just a disaster. I, and I don't, I don't know. It's, um, it's a weird one for sure. 
And El Camino feels like it came out five years ago. Maybe we should just move on to the directing and writing uh, nominations. Obviously, I'm not privy to what episodes are being submitted for these categories. Ben, you were mentioning how, obviously, Nicole Cassell for Watchmen uh, is probably shooting. If not, the show might get a couple of different directing noms. Um, And you mentioned that Mrs. Fletcher could have three. Correct. (laughs) Lest we forget, Mrs. Fletcher has a murderer's row of directing talent in Jillian Robespierre, Carrie Brownstein, and the pilot Helmer, Nicole Hall of Center. So let's just, you know, concede that at least one of the spots will go to one of those fantastic directors. Um, But no, you're right. Like, we, we, we don't necessarily know exactly which network is gonna, and which show is gonna submit all of their directors, all of their episodes versus being kind of selective and spotlighting the people that they think have the best chances. Um, but you can feel pretty good that, you know, Stephen Williams, uh, will get, uh, will be put on the ballot for Watchmen episode six, considering, you know, how much people have said about that episode. Uh, we know that Vince Gilligan will be in there for El Camino, uh, Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck, Mrs. America, like those are the names that are very much attached as directors to their projects. I think Lynn Shelton for Little Fires Everywhere uh, is another one that, you know, because she directed four episodes of that series, including the pilot, uh, it like she's the one that they're going to focus on. They were always going to do that no matter what. And it would be great to see her get a nomination right now. Um, Lenny Abramson for Normal People is another kind of, you know, awards friendly director that you know, we'll get uh, put on the ballot. Uh, Derek Cianfrance uh, from I Know This Much Is True. Again, like that's somebody who's very well respected within that community. So, and and he directed the entire series. So you kind of know that he's going to be uh, front and center. Same Alex Garland for Devs, uh, even if he's a little tricky. And Damien Chazelle for The Eddie. So um, there's a lot of big names competing on the director's front. And, you know, that's not always who ends up getting nominated. Uh it's you know tv favorites are are pretty important so you just mentioned like 12 people and three of them have to be from mrs fletcher i mean i didn't say have to it should (laughs) should be and at least one of them must otherwise what are we doing here but so libby last year chernobyl did the the double in the directing and writing categories could we see something similar if one of the watchmen directing noms wins or if El Camino takes both. I mean, El Camino's not going to take both. Um, it, it just isn't. Uh, I promise. Um, but yeah, like you, you could see someone sweep this. Um, actually wouldn't be surprised at all. If they love both Watchmen and Mrs. America, you might see a split. Um, and also, I feel like we're really... Uh, we're really forgetting unbelievable in this conversation. Um, And I know that I said that it was, you know, not as safe as the other two, but I think it could absolutely be a contender um, because you're dealing with some formidable forces there too. And, uh, and yeah, but you could definitely see a sweep this year. Um, If they're obsessed with one show, then they're going to give that everything, which is sort of the theory that I, I, put forth last year which is there's just too many things there's too much peak tv and they can't watch all of it and the ballot is too overwhelming the ballot that has grown 15 percent over last year um 
is too overwhelming. So they're just going to vote for what they've seen. And what they've seen is going to be a portion, like a, a very small percentage of what's eligible and honestly, what's competitive. One thing that you that we do see from year to year in the writing and directing categories is if there are dominant shows, they can take over all of the nominations. So if we do look at Watchmen, Unbelievable, and Mrs. America as being kind of the, the, the really big shows within the limited race or limited series race right now, we could see them kind of own those writing slots. We could see you know, uh, episode six and the pilot get nominated from Watchmen. We could see multiple episodes, um, though I, I would say for Mrs. America, Davy Walker wrote both Phyllis, the premiere, and Houston, which is kind of the other, one of the other standout episodes. So they probably wouldn't nominate her twice. They might nominate other writers if they if they look at that. Um, and then Unbelievable is kind of similar where a lot of, they, they have a lot of different writers, but the, the creators are very much on board for the strong episodes. But we could still see those kind of fill out the category in a way um and there is a preference to to include showrunners uh episodes over you know kind of the the individuals unless those are um breakout episodes for whatever reason so it, it's kind of weighing that when it comes to you know once we kind of know which episodes have been submitted uh but i don't know how much room there's going to be in either of these categories for some of the some of the also rams, like some of the, the people who are kind of on the outskirts and trying to fight their way in, which, you know, in both categories are a lot of big names. Writing and directing can get really, really sticky with the stuff it likes. Uh, I'm I, For whatever reason, I'm thinking about animation, where for writing, you'll often see like four Simpsons episodes and a Bob's Burger, Bob's Burgers, and God knows I love Bob's Burgers. But uh, like they just can't get past it. Uh, they just can't get past like their top shows. I really think I, I agree with Ben. I think that these categories are going to be dominated by those top those top contenders, and it's just a matter of what what the voters like best. Yeah, and it's, I, I also think it's hard for for movies to compete here. Like Vince Gilligan should stand a pretty good chance because he's Vince Gilligan, and, and you know people see him as that TV writer, and El Camino as the kind of epilogue that they've been waiting for but somebody like mike mikowski for bad education like that's not a name but it's an incredible script and a lot of the times it feels like they're stacking up that one great film script versus eight good to great limited series scripts and they'll go with the quantity even if you know this individual thing is still worth recognizing so it's 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 going to be a kind of a tricky balance um but this is also the place where you know maybe uh, unorthodox gets a surprise nomination maybe normal people actually gets its nomination because they look at those as they could look at those as like writers first shows or writers accomplishments because of kind of the unique structural choices or uh, you know series length or anything about it so well and something else to keep in mind there which i think ben might have t- uh, touched on with uh with directors is like they like it if one person does the entire thing um, I do think that part of Chernobyl's success last year was the fact that Craig Mazin wrote every episode and um, Johan Rank uh, directed every episode. And it, there's something very specific about a uh, body of work that appeals to them um, kind of in the opposite way of movies or, or, or to the, to the nth degree of movies. It's like you have one vision and that goes across the board and, 
and is a lot of effort and work and yeah they they reward quantity sometimes so maybe maybe Derek Cianfranc stands a shot maybe he can break in he wrote and directed all six episodes of that Alex Garland exactly. for Devs similarly like maybe maybe they've got a better chance here than um, you know we're led to believe guys we come to that time of the show where we where I peruse the internet for Quibi headlines uh, here's some of the ones that are just popping up right now. What went wrong with Quibi? Uh, lessons from Quibi's stuttering start and punked and singled out, renewed for second seasons on Quibi. That's what we got. Those yes. are the top three. Yes, there will be second seasons on Quibi. I'm just glad that sure. friend of the pod, Joel Kim Booster, continues to get paid by Katzenberg and Whitman, whatever it is, make that money on this show um, while you can. Gather ye rosebuds while you may. Leo, so I take it from these headlines that Quibi is dead? No, the opposite. Quibi is alive, oh. but not in great shape. Fourth they headline. They renewing shows. Watch Mark Hamill sing about King Kong's junk in music video from Quibi's royalties. Okay, anyway, I should mention <laughs> that instead of watching anything about King Kong's junk, uh, consider instead going to Hulu, watching Showtime's Work in Progress, easily one of the best shows of the last year. It's only there for seven days. Uh, it is not cursed like The Ring. It just is having a very short Hulu run. Uh, take advantage of it while you can. It's It's unlike anything else on TV, and I know I say that, a fair amount, but this is really true. Um, it's funny. It's self-deprecating. It's really fucking dark. Uh, but hey, who isn't really fucking dark these days? Uh, yeah, that's my recommendation corner. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite Chris Evans projects are Snowpiercer, Street Kings, and the Broadway play Lobby Hero. I've only seen one of those things. I didn't know who he Me was. So I, had to do some, I had to do some Googling, and those were some I think of the titles that stood out. I think he's very good in the movie Gifted, um, but that's just me. You can find us on Twitter at A Million Screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review. Let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on the air. We haven't read any good reviews. Where are the good reviews? And if it's bad... They're all from Ben's sister. Oh, we'll read it. And if it's bad, we'll try our best to delete it from the internet. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>